Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Long Talk Radio. Welcome, you're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking, peeps? And welcome to an episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. I'm your show host, Darren Fatman McDuffie. And tonight, we have another dynamite episode for you. Tonight, we're going to be talking about nourishing broth with Dr. Kayla T. Daniel, otherwise known as Bone Broth. And uh, had Dr. Daniel on the show uh, quite a number of times. I think our first one was um, talking about soy. And then we had her on and talk a little bit more about fermented cod liver oil, maybe a couple of months ago. And tonight we have her back again, talking about her book, Nourishing Broth, which um, I learned a lot from the book. And just as a side note, I remember the last time I had her on, we talked about I had a shoulder injury and she suggested I started to take in a little bit more bone broth, which I started to do and my shoulder started healing, healing up a little bit quicker than it probably would have had I not been consuming any bone broth. So uh, I thank her for that. And tonight we'll talk about why that actually happened. But before we get into the show, just wanted to let everyone know if you listen to Monday's episode with Pam, Colleen, we talked about addiction, the hidden epidemic, why so many people are becoming addicted to legal drugs and what we can do about it to move forward into something that's a little bit better. And I also talked about my new website that's coming out, um, working on it now and getting a podcast uploaded, getting everything in place, not really sure when it's going to be debuted, hopefully before the end of the year, which is coming approaching fast wow it just seems like we were in january of 2016 when we were celebrating new year's and now it's as if we're getting ready to go into 2017 getting ready to go to october once october comes halloween then thanksgiving and really that's probably the curtain call for 2016 and we'll get into 2017 so like i said working on it getting it done and hopefully it'll be debuted by before the end of the year and it'll be an immersion or uh yeah an immersion between health and consciousness which is the way that i'm going which is to think that in so many ways all of this has been intertwined and really to get to a more healthy state you have to get to a larger consciousness in mind and that's what my site is going to be more geared towards and just a lot of things that I've learned over the years. I've been doing this since about 2005 on my own self-study then podcasting, learning a lot from others. And again, it'll be that immersion of what I've learned in these two worlds and how to put that together to reach a higher level in your life. So looking forward to debuting that. Hope you're looking forward to uh, 
getting on the new site and checking out everything that's on there. And it'll be out soon. So um, tonight we have Dr. Kayla T. Daniel back again, and we'll be talking about her book, Nourishing Broth. We've had her on before, so I don't think I'm going to have her do her bio again. We'll probably just get right into the show. But let me get her on. Dr. Kayla T. Daniel, welcome back to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Thank you. It's always an honor to be on your show. Thank you, Dr. Kayla. Um, Went through your book, Nourishing Broth, and... Like I said before the show came on, I had a shoulder injury. I think we were doing the fermented cod liver oil show when uh, I had explained to you I had a shoulder injury and you told me to use the broth and did a pretty good job on healing up my shoulder. And going through the book is as if maybe three, four years ago, bone broth kind of burst on the scene, but bone broth and broth is not something new. It seems like it's a recent phenomenon but it's been around for years. So talk a little bit about that. Sure. Well, people often ask if it's paleo, and I, I say that, uh, that they were making bone broth before they even had a pot to cook in, and uh, they were <laughs> cooking uh, broth in animal skins, or they were catching the, the drippings from, um, from, the, from the meat as they would roast it or cook it over, over a fire. And then there were turtles that you would make soup with uh, using their own um, shell as the pot, and mm-hmm. so on. But we're very blessed today to have uh, very high-quality pots, and uh, that certainly makes it easier. And today we have crock pots, too, so it, it's mm-hmm. truly a fast food. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the crock pots a little bit later on. But um before I even had my podcast, I would listen to other podcasts, and it just seems like bone broth kind of burst onto the scene. Why is there such a sudden interest? Why is this interest in bone broth and rekindled? Well, it's been coming along for a while, and as people have returned to eating real foods and uh, whole foods and what we call slow foods, meaning we're preparing them from scratch, uh, people didn't start perhaps with the soups and stews, but as people got thinking more and more about news to tail eating and using all parts of the animal, the questions came to be, how do you use the bones? How do you use the carcass? Uh, and people realized that was a very important part of staying healthy and particularly joint health and recovering from wounds and also autoimmune disorders, uh, gut healing, so many factors. So when people eat only the steaks and chops and muscle meats, they often get healthier initially uh, if they've been on a plant-based diet and they return to meat, they start feeling more energy. But at a certain point, we certainly need to add in the organ meats, the heart and the gizzards and the kidneys and the liver especially, and use the carcass, and that's where we start making bone broth. What's the difference in a broth and a soup? Because I went in a grocery store just preparing for the show, and I looked on a lot of the soups, and I I noticed that a lot of the soups have additives. When I make my own broth, I do bare-bones broth, and that's pun intended. But (laughs) it's not a lot of additives in there. And I've noticed that in the soups that they may have in the store, there tends to be some additives in there. So what's the the difference between a a broth and a soup per se? Well, we can use the broth as a foundation for making soups and stews. 
So let's say we're making a chicken broth, and uh, we're making that good broth, and, you know, pretty simple. You know, we, we're just using some chicken feet and maybe the carcass of a roast chicken or or a small chicken, and uh, we're, we're cooking that with good filtered water and some cider vinegar. And maybe we're adding some onions and some celery or a carrot, too, and that's going to flavor the basic broth. So we can enjoy that in a lot of ways. We can drink it as sort of a meat tea, and uh, many people are finding it's a wonderful way to start our day, uh, bone broth instead of coffee, say. Or we can uh, decide to make any kind of soup we like. Say if you've got a chicken broth, uh, maybe you're going to make a minestrone soup or chicken rice soup or chicken noodle soup if you're if you're eating Wheat and pasta, um, there's just so many options. You can add coconut milk to it, and that's another very nourishing food. So basically, we can look at any of our favorite soup recipes and just adapt them to include the good old-fashioned bone broth as the base. One of the additives I know um, that I saw in the soups, and it was really renamed, it wasn't MSG, monosodium glutamate, it was some of the soups contain autolyzed yeast extract, which is another name for MSG. But why would we be apprehensive about that ingredient? Well, the the, uh, products you're talking about are usually not true bone broths. So they might be a, a chicken... Uh, a chicken broth, but uh, made with the meat, and it may have a good flavor, and it certainly got some nutrition to it. I don't want to say it's a bad product, but the true bone broth, you're working with the bones, you're working with the carcass, the cartilage, the collagen, and much more nourishing. But back to your question about what, what goes in some of those packaged broths, yes, virtually all of those brands will have some autolyzed yeast extract, and that will include some MSG. So not so good, and that's in there to basically hype up the flavor a bit uh, because otherwise it wouldn't taste as good as consumers would expect. Now, let's talk about some of the components of broth um, because – before I started doing a lot of research and, and really getting into the, the finding out the components of broth, I would notice that they would have, uh, I remember someone suggested to me using gelatin, and there's a brand of gelatin that you can use for, and I remember when, these, when I was having problems with my knees from so many years of playing basketball that someone suggested me to use this particular brand of gelatin. But what makes gelatin so good and Part of that question is, with the broth, are we extracting the gelatin from that to use as a separate component, like with this particular gelatin that I was recommended to take for my um, my joints? Well, uh, when we're making homemade bone broth, let's um, you know go back to that you know roast chicken and the carcass. The carcass is going to have bones. It's going to have cartilage, you know, right at the joints. It's going to have collagen with the skin. And with chicken, you know, we'll have this. We'll have the skin. So our homemade bone broth is going to include all those components. And when you're buying a collagen product, and they're certainly good, or a gelatin product, um, they're basically made from hides. So you're not going to have the benefit of the cartilage or some of the nutrition that would come through the bones. And 
So it's a somewhat more limited product, but if you're making homemade bone broth and it doesn't um, doesn't get jiggly like gelatin, you may want to add either some collagen peptides, which dissolve in, in any liquid, whether it's hot or cold, and it will not gel but gives you some of the same benefits, or you can use a gelatin, and the gelatin will make it all jiggly, so you'll have an impressive-looking broth. So the ideal product, if you're going to take a supplement as opposed to making lots of broth, in terms of, say, healing your knees or shoulder injuries or, or whatever, would be a collagen cartilage product. And that's more specialized using the car- cartilage form of collagen. And if you, you're a believer in like cures like, that's, that's really the primo product. What would make it not gel? Because I, I made my own broth and I uh, just sticking it in the refrigerator after it's done for later use. I do notice that it's gelling. But what would make it not gel? Are we not cooking it properly, not cooking it long enough? What would make it not gel? That is the most common question I hear. And the, the, the secret to a great gelling broth every time is to use some chicken feet in it. Or you can mm. use a pig foot. Or just a lot of joints, like with, um, or you know, oxtail soup. Uh, you you always get a good gelatin from that. So it's going to depend on which bones you're using, and it's also going to depend on the concentration. Uh, sometimes people make the mistake of using just a couple bones and a few gallons of water, and they can't understand why their broth doesn't gel and why it doesn't have any flavor. So you really want to fill up the stock pot or your crock pot with the bones and then put water on it. And um, that's, that's about the right percentage for a good flavor and to improve the likelihood of getting, getting the good gelatin. Now, if you're uh, roasting a chicken, you'll notice that after you roast it, there's gelatin underneath. And, of course, that's wonderful. Eat it up. But if you go take that carcass, perhaps it's not going to yield a lot more gelatin. So in that case, getting those chicken feet in would be would be important. And all of us sometimes make a batch that doesn't gel, and we can always add some gelatin if we wish. Yeah. Um, if you're going to, let's say you're using uh, marrow bones, beef bones, and um, would you put chicken feet in it then as well in order to kind of magnify the, the gelatin in it? Or do you, you, you wouldn't need to use that if you're doing with beef bones? Well, if you're doing uh, shank bones um, or marrow bones and, say, if you roast them first, which which increases the richness of the flavor. So if you're a fan of marrow and it's an energizing, rejuvenative food, it's revered all over the world. So if you eat that marrow at first and then you put the bones that are left in your stock pot, uh, you're not going to get any marrow because you've already eaten it. And you're not going to get much gelatin either because that's the kind of bone that does not yield the gelatin. So you want to add some other things to that batch. And it might be different types of bones that you could put in a pig's foot. You could throw in some oxtails too. And that, that yields a wonderful beef soup with a, lot of, with a lot of good tender meat. So you've got many options. Going back to, to collagen, um, what is the importance of, of collagen? I know from 
doing the research and, and reading over the book, um, collagen is very important, but I don't think the audience understands the importance of that. So I wanted you to talk a little, little bit about it. Well, collagen, uh, a lot of people are familiar with it as something you uh, put on your skin to, yes. to improve your skin. So there's a lot of cosmetics products that include collagen, and um, people who spend a lot of money on their appearance might go undergo collagen injections, for example. And what I'd be recommending, and I bet you do too, Darren, is that, that people take their collagen and gelatin internally. They eat it. You know, we get healthy from the inside out. And collagen, as well as cartilage, um, they include a lot of um, conditionally essential amino acids that we need. Uh, the ones glycine, proline, and uh, glutamine particularly. And we need those for good health. And theoretically, our bodies can make them. But in practice, most of us aren't healthy enough to do it or do it sufficiently. So making sure we're including those um, those in our diet. And the best way, I mean, you can gnaw on a drumstick if you like, and that'll give you some, but, but broth is really the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little more about that, um, especially collagen. As we get older, we tend not to make as much. And I live here in Florida, in South Florida, so it's kind of we have a real large senior population. And one of the things that I see is, you know, as people get older, they tend to kind of break down. And from your book, you're explaining that, you know, we don't make as much collagen. But I wanted to ask you about just seniors in general, are they going to benefit from bone broth and should they be drinking this daily? And also on the flip side of that, it's kind of a loaded question. Talk a little bit more about uh, women, because it seems that women are more susceptible to things of the bones like osteoporosis where they're, you know, the bone is breaking down. They're not making as much bone. Um, is bone broth going to help in those instances as well? Bone broth seems to be a true miracle food that helps just about everything. And yes, seniors absolutely should be having their bone broth, but I'd say let's start much, much younger because, uh, Problems with the joint, the skin, and digestive system, and uh, bones. Uh, let's look after our bodies from from a really early age, rather than trying to to fix it up afterwards. Uh, but the osteoporosis question is very interesting because people have assumed that the reason we hear so many people saying their bone density has improved and their flexibility and strength has improved after including bone broth in their diet every day. We always assumed it was because bone broth contains calcium because we're making it from bones and bones contain calcium. But as it turns out, we did lab studies, and there's been research on that going back into the 1930s, And they all say the same thing. There's very little calcium in bone broth. So that led to the question, well, how does it help with the bones? If it's not calcium, what is it? And we realized it's because the framework for bones is collagen, collagen framework. And then the minerals get slapped on it, basically. So the collagen framework is the most important part. So we need that for strength and flexibility. 
so that's where the collagen comes in. And then hopefully we're getting calcium from, from other things. Say if we're making a bean soup, we can put some kale in. There's some calcium in there. Or we might be doing dairy with some chowders. There's many ways we can get calcium in our diet. But bone broth is really the secret to getting the collagen. Going back to seniors, is it inevitable for us to break down as we age? If we are doing the things that we're supposed to do, uh, ingesting our bone broth or consuming the bone broth, rather, can we live a, I would say, a, 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 a much more longevity, but a much more fruitful life as well without the aches and pains. Because it seems like as we age, people accept that, oh, I, I'm not that uh, joyous or I can't move as much as I, I normally are able to move. And we've seen to accept that. But consuming something like a bone broth and really building our uh, cartilage or using the, the, the collagen, are we able to live a more a, a better life? I think so, and I hear so many stories from people who have reversed uh, joint problems, who've reversed their aches and pains, who've gotten stronger, who've built back their bones. So we get a lot of those testimonials, and many of them from just including homemade bone broth alone, not getting into the supplements. Now, if somebody has an injury or somebody has serious uh, arthritis, you know, where you're down to bone on bone, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. somebody who has a serious autoimmune problem, something like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or scleroderma or psoriasis, some of those, I think besides including broth as the foundation of a good, healthy diet, the cartilage product can be very, very useful. Now, it's... Um, a rather expensive product, and you have to take 12 caps a day. But Dr. John F. Pruden's research was on cartilage. So the cartilage research he did supports our use, use of broth, but in terms of getting a therapeutic-level dose, uh, that might be helpful to people who really need to regenerate. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because in the book you talked about being able to regenerate cartilage. And his studies show that. Am I, am I right about that? His studies show that. And he worked with the best and brightest. He published in the top journals. He was a scientist, scientist, doctor's doctor, very, very respected in the establishment. You know, he was not an alternative guy. But he did that research, and he found amazing results. Yeah, that's amazing that we, we'll be able to... to uh regenerate the cartilage talking about cartilage there's i'm not sure if i'm even going to pronounce this right chondrocytes that help build the cartilage one of the things that i'm wondering is this slows down as we age it seems like the the older we get more things slow down but um is this why because the chondrocytes help build the cartilage is this why when you see someone a senior who's they're more susceptible to breaks, breaks in the hips, uh, arm, legs, things of that nature. Is it because these chondrocytes are no longer being uh, regenerated or being formed properly in the body after a certain age? Well, that would certainly be a factor. Uh, 
so with the hip break, hip fractures and other broken bones and, and the joint problems. I mean, people, so many people assume that as they get older, they're going to have joint problems. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have arthritis as you get older. And some people don't. And that, you know, that, that right there tells you that there's some differences. So, uh, you know, we're, we're all different and we all have specific weaknesses, but it really behooves us to, to look at what our healthy ancestors did and, and try to replicate some of that. And our ancestors going way back who, you know, didn't get eaten by a bear or whatever or fall prey to some terrible infectious disease often lived long lifespans and healthy lifespans. So we can do it, but we do have to, I would say, you know, from the earliest age possible, start really nourishing our bodies and keeping active. Don't think you need to be slowing down. Keep keep it up. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people slow down. I remember I had a gentleman, um, he said, always keep playing basketball. And I was like, well, why do you always keep playing basketball? He's like, when you stop, you'll know why. (laughs) And I I stopped playing regularly, and I got back on the court and tried to play again. And I was like, oh, I know exactly what he means now. And, Uh, you know, I I think that's a great recommendation, too, because when you're playing basketball, you're not only moving, but you're having fun, and you're going to be probably playing with people, so you've got community, and the social aspect is important, mm -hmm. all of those things. Uh, With the clients I work with, uh, I always discuss exercise, but I also discuss it in terms of getting out there and having fun, like what do people enjoy doing, walking, you know, walking is inexpensive, it's pleasant, and you can start in a very limited way if your health is poor and work it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hiking, gardening, yeah. all of these things help. Yeah, people tend to think that you have to go in the gym and do the workout and lift a 1,000 pounds, and sometimes it's just all about what you enjoy doing because you're going to get more out of that than if you go in the gym and torture yourself for something that you really don't like doing. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that's important in the bone broth and that comes in the the bones, and humans have this in their bones as well, is marrow. And I didn't know how important that marrow was inside of the bone as far as being on the other end of it when I'm actually indulging in bone broth. Talk a little bit about that, how important the marrow is. Well, the marrow is wonderful, and if we're getting marrow bones or shank bones, there's there's quite a bit of marrow in there. Now, chicken bones or poultry bones, uh, bird bones have very little because they're they're supposedly going to fly, and uh, so the bones are often pretty hollow. But there's still some in there. So when we're making bone broth, we're we're going to get some marrow in there, either. Uh, uh, well, unless we eat it first. So, you know, it's it's delicious. I mean, it's it's an amazing treat, you know, if you're into something that's fatty and greasy and very primal. But uh, that's a good thing. So you're either going to eat it or you're going to get it in your soup. And that's an argument for including a variety of bone broth. So in my house, I have chicken, occasionally turkey, uh, uh, lamb, beef, venison, uh, fish, so a variety of things, and some of those broths have a lot of marrow, some have very little, but but they're all good. 
Mm-hmm. I tried beef and chicken, but for some reason, I just love the taste of the beef broth versus the chicken. I don't know why, but I just, <laughs> I just prefer the beef broth. It's just, it seems like it's more hearty to me or something. I don't, but that's just my own personal uh, preference. Um, well, whatever kind you like and whatever kind you're willing to make. Uh, a lot of people yeah. get obsessed about what is the ideal one, um, what is the ideal one for maximum nutritional density. And the real, the real question is what kind are you willing to make and what kind do you enjoy and actually eat? And in terms of nutritional density, the every pot of broth you make is going to vary depending on what bones you put in there, what vegetables you add. It's it's all going to vary from from time to time. Mm-hmm. I have one of my nerd questions I wanted to ask you, which is one of those things that when I'm preparing for a show, just something just pops into my head and I start Googling things. <laughs> and, and for some <laughs> reason, it seems like it's a connection there. But I wanted to ask you a little bit about the proteoglycans. And in your book, you talked about how the proteoglycans are, I would say, sulfur-derived. What if someone has a sulfur deficiency? Because um, I had a guest on the show, we were talking about sulfur deficiency, and it seems that we have a large section of populations that's sulfur-deficient now. Is that going to lend itself to the breakdown of cartilage in the body? Um. All, all of these things do. You know, they all work together. There's, there's no one, one thing that, that's going to be the secret. But the proteoglycans, uh, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the conditionally essential amino acids and glutamine, proline, glycine, etc., and they're very important. And with the proteoglycans, uh, proteo stands for protein and glycans for the sugar, and they're sometimes called the goo molecules, and they're used everywhere in the body, and they lubricate and cushion joints, muscles, bones, and so they're, they're very important. They're part of synovial fluid. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are good. Um, talking a little bit about different conditions, and this was something that really surprised me because I didn't know this, um, <laughs> and I have people in my family who are actually uh, diabetics, but diabetics suffer from poor bones, and that's because of advanced glycation in products. Um, talk more about that and why that happens with, with diabetics, because that was amazing to me in reading it in the book, because I never would have thought about that connection and why that actually happens. And off the cuff or a side note is that I've heard so much about the advanced glycation end products with the different things, especially wheat and gluten. But talk about that and why that happens with, with diabetics in particular. Well, what I can tell you right off is diabetics often find that including bone broth is, is very helpful to them. And um, that would include some of the, the, the feeling of great nourishment and and helping them to to stay on track in terms of a bo- in terms of a healthy body. So you know, right there, that becomes really important. So you know, sometimes in terms of dietary recommendations, uh, the best thing to do is is um, add things that are really nutritious, and then some of the bad habits start to fall away. So that that gets to be interesting. 
Another thing is that I found really interesting as well, and I'm always learning every time I read a book or do some research and really interview different people, there's always something that comes up that I don't know. That's why I love this stuff. But I didn't know that broth actually helps improve protein digestion and assimilation. It's an incomplete, it's not a complete protein itself, but it actually helps us improve the protein digestion and assimilation, which is huge because there's a lot of people out there who are not breaking down protein properly. But how does that happen? How does it actually, because it's an incomplete protein itself, how does it help us with our protein um, digestion and assimilation? Well, I, I think the studies actually talk about the sparing effect with protein. And by what they mean by that is that that we can have a super stew with lower amounts of protein and and stay really, really healthy. We don't need massive amounts of protein as you might get in the steaks and chops. Uh, so it, it's more economical to, to have long-cooked meat in a super stew. And, and the other thing about that is... Um, uh, the the long cooking makes it very tender. It melts in your mouth, so it doesn't have to be chewed and chewed. And and for many children and many people, as they get older and may have uh, dental problems, uh, trouble chewing, that becomes mm-hmm. a huge advantage in terms of their health. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier in the interview when we started about muscle meats, and um, there's something in muscle meats called methionine. Um, how does broth help us help us with that and um, to to be able to assimilate? We talked about the assimilation of protein and digestion. How does the, the broth help us with the methionine? Well, the thing is, uh, sometimes people can get too much methionine. It's something we uh-huh. definitely need and we want. But people can get out of balance if they're eating only some parts of the animal. So if we're doing nose-to-tail eating, we're including heart and liver, and if chickens, uh, we're including those gizzards, um, many, many parts of the animal. And it, it seems that Mother Nature designed it that way so we would get all of the things we need. So it, we're going to enjoy the steaks, and we're going to get some good methionine from that and from some of the other meat, but we also need the proline and glycine and the alanine and glutamine that we're going to get from the broth. And the heart is going to have lots of CoQ10, and and the liver is going to have um, lots of folate and iron and B vitamins and good things. So there's just so many things to take into account when we're looking to be healthy. Mm-hmm. There are four key amino acids in broth. I wanted to talk about three of those because three of those are really, uh, actually all of them are important, but I just wanted to talk about three. Um, Let's talk about glycine, glutamine, which I'm very familiar with, and um, hopefully I'm pronouncing this right, alanine. Sure. Okay. Well, glycine, uh, it's an important conditionally essential amino acid, and we get a lot of it in broth. And it's a basic molecule that helps us manufacture other amino acids. So it's a very simple one, and it's very important. And it has many, many roles in the body. It helps us make hemoglobin for healthy blood and 
creatine for energy and porphyrin um, and bile salts and all sorts of good things. But what I think a lot of people uh, appreciate these days is glycine's role in making the antioxidant glutathione because that is so important for detoxification and for staying really, really healthy. And um, did you talk about glutamine? Uh, glutamine, yes. That's another conditionally essential amino acid. And it's... Um, it's got a lot of health-giving aspects to it. Most, uh, most importantly, it's one of the keys to healing leaky gut. Yeah. So we have, we have a saying that uh, first heal the gut. No matter what your other symptoms are, first heal the gut. And many, many people these days have, have um, intestinal permeability, um, which we, we call leaky gut. And glutamine really helps the villi of the small intestine to heal up and to grow, and that becomes very important in terms of nourishing ourselves well because when the villi go flat, uh, we're, we're tending to be malnourished. So glutamine is very significant for that, and it also stimulates immune cells and... Um, and modulates as well. So it's not just stimulation because sometimes we need stimulation, sometimes we need more more modulation with the immune system. So yeah. that's why it becomes important both for fighting infections and for helping to recover from autoimmune disorders. Yeah, that's when I first heard about uh, glutamine was when I was looking at healing my leaky gut and uh, I was consuming bone broth, but I was also using um, a glutamine supplement and a lot of bodybuilders use glutamine as well. Um, I remember yeah, when I, they, yeah, they tend to uh, do much better in my opinion, if they drop the glutamine and include a lot of broth or include one of the, the more whole food kind of supplements like the collagen peptides or even the cartilage. Right. And then the last one was the alanine, if you can talk about that. Well, there's, there's less research on that. It's, it's the fourth most prevalent amino acid in broth. And it's got a role in liver function, and uh, healthy bodies can make it, but many athletes and bodybuilders take extra because uh, their, their physical activity is such that they're, they're very likely to deplete it, and extra can help them with endurance. And it can help with the building of muscle mass. So for those reasons, it's also been promoted as an anti-aging supplement because retaining muscle mass as we get older is, is significant. So I think we got all the science out of the way. I wanted you to walk me through making some broth because um, when I know when I first started, I'm pretty adventuresome, but I know some people out there are hesitant when they start doing something that's new. They're, they're afraid that, hey, you know, I might not be doing it right. Me, I just go in there and I, <laughs> and I just do it. But I wanted you to kind of walk us through, like, uh, making a pot of broth, you know, whatever bones that we're using. And one of the things that I know that um, when I was doing my research uh, before, you know, interviewing you way back when, four or five years ago on bone broth, they always suggested adding apple cider vinegar. Um, do we need that? Is that something that they, they say that it's used to break down the bones or bring the, the nutrients out of the bones? Do we really need that? But again, start from point A and kind of guide us down the road of what we would need to do to make a, a nice, fresh, 
good tasting broth? Well, let me start with something that's very, very easy and practical because that's important to a lot of people. And also just to say right right, right now that that not to be intimidated by the bone broth, it's not that hard, but like any new habit, it's a little harder at the beginning. And then after yeah. you've learned how to do it, it becomes extremely simple. It's really just a matter of being being organized. It's just a habit that doesn't take very much time because it truly is a fast food. We throw some bones uh and maybe a few vegetables, um, some good filtered water and a little vinegar in a crock pot or stock pot, and we can um, put it on low and go to sleep, go to work, uh, and it cooks itself. Very simple. But uh, let me uh, mention a, a really good practical tip for, for busy people. Let's say you roast a chicken on a Sunday, and your family enjoys it, or let's say you don't even want to go to the trouble of roasting a chicken. Let's say you buy one of the rotisserie chickens, say, at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. So you've got your roast chicken, and uh, you, it will have some flavoring, some spices. So the broth you're going to end up with is going to have some of those flavors in it. But it should all be good. So, okay, so we eat some of the roast chicken, and then the next day, let's say we have chicken salad or we make a chicken curry or we... Uh, eat eat some more of that chicken. And at this point, uh, there's some meat left on the chicken, but it's pretty picked over, and we've got a carcass with some meat. So we can toss that into the stock pot or into the crock pot. And if we have some chicken feed, it would be great to add those because that will guarantee uh, much better gelatin. And cover with filtered water, add a little celery, a little onion, a carrot, um, and um, apple cider vinegar probably the first choice. But if you're using beef bones, you might want to do a red wine vinegar. It's all going to work. And I'm not actually uh, sure exactly what the the vinegar accomplishes. Uh, just know that it goes way back. It's a tradition, and it would seem it helps pull more of the minerals out of the bones. Right. So anyway, you've got that in your stock pot. You can cook it. Uh, don't worry about whether it's seven hours or nine hours or, or what. People, people worry too much about some of the details, and people worry too much about exactly what kind of bones or exactly what kind of vegetables. But one of the common problems is people don't use enough bones compared to the water because if you don't use enough bones, guess what? You're not going to have much flavor. Yeah. So that's really all there is to it, and then you're going to strain it. Uh, If there's much meat on the carcass, you're going to want to pick that up. Uh, pick it off, and if you've got the vegetables and they've been cooking for nine hours, you're going to want to toss them because all the nutrition is already in the liquid. So then you've got some plain broth. You can either drink it as a meat tea or as a coffee or other other um, liquid substitute. And um, Or you could, from there on, uh, make some chicken rice soup. And let's, I'll just say how I would do that. I've got my broth, so I'm going to saute some fresh onions, nice celery, some carrots, and um, make um, some, some uh, rice separately, bring them all together. I've got the vegetables cooked just the way I like them. I add the, 
I add the broth, I add the rice, and maybe I'm going to add some chicken. If there's chicken left over from the from the roast, fine. Um, if not, maybe I've got some chicken pieces in the freezer that I've cooked up and added. So there's just so many things we can do. Mm-hmm. I live in South Florida, so I don't really get a chance to kind of the cold. It gets cold here maybe two weeks out of the year. It probably, it's probably coming in November or December or something where it gets cold in the morning and it warms up to 70. But I know on those days where it gets cold in the morning, I would always get in my car and have a big tall cup of broth and there's nothing like it. It, it kind of compares to coffee, but it's so much better than <laughs> that, that That bone broth flavor is so much better coffee, in my opinion. I know some people love their coffee. Um, getting into the crock pot versus the stock pot, because I've heard so there's so much that goes on on the Internet and different people's opinions. Some people say don't cook in a crock pot, cook in a stock pot. Is there any difference with that? Well, the main reason to choose a crock pot or a slow cooker would be so that uh, you don't have to worry about burning it up. So if you're going to leave the house or you're going to go to sleep, uh, you might want to use the stock pot just, or excuse me, the crock pot, just so, uh, you know, you don't boil it down too far. You just got better control over it. Now, stock pot, uh, a lot of big families particularly, they have gigantic stock pots, and that will be going on on the stove. And some stoves have a really reliable, very, very low setting. So it depends on your stove, depends on your preference. Some people prefer pressure cookers. They prefer to get it all done in a in a couple hours. And pressure cookers can yield wonderful gelatin and excellent broth. So it's really it really comes down to what's your preference and what are you willing to do. With a crock pot, sometimes I let it sit in there for two days. And to me, that's the best flavor. Like maybe not even two days, maybe a day, day and a half. And then I put it, you know, turn it off and let it cool off and put it in jars and put it in the refrigerator. Is there an optimal time to, I guess you would say, brew or cook the broth for a stock pot and, and a crock pot? Or is it a matter of what you want your broth to taste like? Well, I think uh, you don't have to worry about exact times. Um, you've, you've expressed a uh, uh, preference for beef broth, so that's definitely something that needs to cook a day or two. So that's uh, one of the reasons some people might prefer, say, a chicken because it's, it's done more quickly. But you don't have to fuss too much about exact times or exact ingredients. Uh, it's pretty fail-proof, really. Mm-hmm. Salt. I wanted to ask you about salt because what I do is I will put my bones in there. Um, I do my vinegar and then... Um, you know, obviously my vegetables. I'm not a carrot person. To me, carrot makes a broth sweet, and I'm not a carrot. But for those out there who are listening, if you want to add carrots, you can add carrots. But I also put my salt in the bottom. Is that correct, or should I be adding the salt once the, the broth actually starts, you know, brewing? I would add the salt uh, later uh, at the point you're oh, making okay. soup. Uh, there's a lot of factors involved besides personal taste with salt. Uh, I, I certainly believe in salt, love my salt, but the thing is if you're making broth and uh, you concentrate the liquid down, if you've used salt from the beginning, it could get too salty. 
so uh, adding the salt at the point that you're making soup or you're actually serving at the table, then you can get it exactly the way you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use real salt, and I kind of got it down to a science because I'm not a, a heavy salt user, but I like the salt in there for flavor. So I think what I'm going to do now is just start adding it after it's actually started brewing, which makes a lot of sense. But um, that's, a, that's a good tip because I was wondering about that when I was researching and reading the book. Bones, where are the best time, best place to get bones? Because now we don't really have butcher shops. I think there are a few around here in Florida where you can go to places that are old school and get bones. But where would be a place where we would get bones, other than if we're saving a carcass from a roasted chicken or, or something of that nature? Yeah, it's going to depend on your community. Uh, the mm-hmm. bone broth fad and the trend ha- is, has been helpful in the sense that the bones are more and more available to people. So a few years back, it was very hard to get bones and very hard to get chicken feet, but it's getting much easier to find those. But it's really going to vary from community to community. And as consumers, we need to to ask for what we want. And if we're willing to pay for it, it will be provided. And lastly, it's like a, Bone broth is like that Frank's Red Hot commercial. You use it for everything. Talk about some of the <laughs> some of the conditions that may be improved with bone broth. Because I was actually surprised to see one condition in there that was actually improved with uh, with bone broth, and that was cancer. But talk about some other conditions that might be improved with just consuming bone broth on a daily basis. Sure, and first I'll just mention uh, the various ways you can use it. You can drink it as tea, you can make soups or stews, you can make sauces, and something a lot of people don't necessarily think of, you can use it in place of water with grains like rice or, or quinoa. So people who who have some challenging health, health problem uh, who want to have, say, three cups of bone broth a day, have various options, various ways to to get it down. So so think about some of those possibilities. And in the summer, you can make aspic. You know, you can make a healthy Jello. So in terms of the conditions, um, traditionally it was always used uh, for infectious disease, colds, flu. You know, we we talk about uh, chicken soup being Jewish penicillin. And, in fact, uh, the history of such use goes way, way back. And uh, Florence Nightingale brought in the celebrity chef of her era to the Crimean War to cook for the soldiers, and it was to help them with endurance and good health, but to help the wounded recover from their wounds and the trauma. But um, what a lot of people... People think about the wounds the soldiers got, but the infectious disease was rampant there. So it was was very helpful that way. So to this day, it's uh, wonderful for for winter, for colds and flu season. It's also very helpful for healing leaky gut or any digestive problems, irritable bowel, Crohn's, um, ulcerative colitis, problems like that. It's wonderful for reversing autoimmune disorders. Uh, Terry Walls, in her book, The Walls Protocol, uh, mm-hmm. talks about bone broth being an essential part of her healing program, and her, her specifically was multiple sclerosis. 
And uh, Dr. Pruden's research established that it was helpful for, for uh, scleroderma. We have many, many people talking about uh, healing of lupus with the use of broth or, or some of the supplements like the cartilage. And, um, gee, so many, so many things. Um, it's good for athletes preventing injuries, helping you recover from injuries. I, I do kettlebells, and so many people have knee problems, and the way to prevent it is broth. And uh, Dr. Pruden did research with the cartilage uh, capsules, and prior to the capsules, uh, he did research with uh, cartilage injections. But um, his last um, research was done with, with the capsules, very effective. And he was reversing stage four cancers, and his patients were not doing anything else. They weren't changing their diet. They weren't exercising. Some of them continued to smoke and take recreational drugs, no less. But he was somehow reversing this, and it was the cartilage. Yeah, it's amazing how these things that have been passed out from generation to generation are some of the best things you can do to, to heal the body. And we have forgotten about them in a sense. And, you know, now they're, they're coming back and they're just like really tried and true. But Dr. Kayla, thank you for a great interview. You are one of my favorite guests and you're also probably one of my easiest interviewees. So I thank you for that. And uh, are you writing anything now in the process of, of doing anything new? Well, I am. I did first want to mention that I have a co-author for Nourishing Broth, and uh, Sally Fallon Morell is the co-author, and she did the recipes and the how-tos, and, you know, wanted to give credit there. And at this point, I'm moving on to to some some other work with my Naughty Nutritionist brand, and basically I try to to um, cut through all the confusion and the inconsistency and the stress of all the different health advice and uh, make it entertaining and be both edu educational and entertaining. Great. And your website is uh, drkaladaniel.com? That's right. And the broth okay. website is nourishingbroth.com. Okay. Okay, great. Dr. Kayla, thank you for a great interview. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a great evening. You too. All right. Good night. Night. All right. That is another show in the books. Next. Well, actually, I have an interview that's coming up Friday. We're going to be talking to Dr. Jonathan Wright on why stomach acid is good for you. This has been an interview that I've been kind of waiting on for um, for a while with regards to really getting it set up. Dr. Jonathan Wright is really um, been busy. So he's agreed to do the interview on Friday. It was the only time that I could get him on, and it will be available for listening Friday. I think I'm doing the interview at 8.30 on a Friday, but, hey, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. So I'm really looking forward to interviewing him on that book and finding a lot more about why, again, stomach acid is good for you. A lot of conditions are due to low stomach acid, and we'll be talking about um, – indigestion as well and why you know some of the things that we're using are not the correct things to be using because they do deplete or lower the stomach acid so hopefully you will be listening to that and again look for the new website things are coming along really well 
and I'll be debuting that website and share the podcast with your friends. If there's an episode that you think would be uh, great for your friends, someone out there who has a condition or something, please share the show with them and, uh, and be sure if you need to give me any feedback or a guest that you want to see, you can reach me at perfectly healthy and tone radio at gmail.com. And if you are listening to this via iTunes, please go on and leave me a review, whether good, whether bad, just leave a, or leave a review. All right. So see you Friday, 830. I can't say same fat time, same fat channel, because usually the show is on Monday and Wednesday. But again, I'm looking forward to that show. Hope you are as well. Peace and love, y'all. Good night. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.